Now, let's talk about, the, I'm kind of finishing up uh, talking about, uh, just sharing about God is personal. God desires to interrupt your life and be personal. So I want to talk about questions matter. We all have questions. We have questions about all kinds of things. We have questions about decisions in life and jobs and people we'll marry and people we'll date and where we'll work. We have questions about God. We have questions about life. Why did this happen? Why do uh, bad things happen to good people? Why do children suffer around the world? Why is there hunger and starvation? Why is there disease? And why is there so much hatred in the world? We have these questions. Why do church people behave, they behave the way they behave? We have these questions. So I want to talk about questions really do matter. Uh, they, every question we have matters in some way, especially as it relates to God. All questions matter, but there is one question that matters the most, and that is, who is Jesus? We got a lot of questions about creation, about Noah's Ark, about, you know, the children of Israel and all the things that happened in the middle. We got questions about the second coming. They're good questions. We got questions about the Trinity. Man, how does that work? And Holy Spirit. Those are good questions. But the question that matters most, the one that you must answer individually and personally, is who is Jesus? So let's dig in. Jesus, who is he? Well, he's the one who offers a personal relationship with God over religion. Religion has nothing to do with a personal relationship, it has to do with performance. Hoping to make God like you. But Jesus offers a personal relationship with God that empowers your life to honor him. And so it's a big difference when we understand who Jesus is. He's the one that makes a personal relationship with God very real. I want you to start in the book of Acts chapter 7 as we go through this story. Because I want to talk to you about a guy who nobody would have ever, ever believed he would have become a follower of Christ. No one. But he did. Look at this. And verse, now we're talking about a guy named Stephen. He was a deacon. And uh, he was preaching the gospel. And deacons are kind of special in the church because they serve the people. They minister. Tonight we're going to ordain Stephen Litton who, uh, to the uh, role of a deacon. And he's going to be here tonight. I hope you'll come and support that and be here. We're going to worship. We're going to have a lot of choirs singing. Just be a great night. I hope you'll be here. But Stephen was a serving deacon. And he was sharing his faith and he made some people mad, namely the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now, let me tell you about a stoning in Jewish life. When someone decided they wanted you to be stoned to death, it's because you had done something that they considered a menace to their culture or a threat to their culture. And, to their, so they, and you, in Stephen's case, they believed he had blasphemed. And therefore, they called together the community to stone him, the men to come together, and the community would kill the one that was, they felt, destroying their society and culture. Does that sound a little familiar today, as people think about Christians today, how they treat us, how they don't like us? That's kind of, kind of similar. They wish we'd go away. Well, the good thing is we're not going to go away until Jesus comes. But anyway, here we go. So we dragged, dragged man and his, and his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's important. Next verse. As they stoned him, 
Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now, can you imagine? They're throwing stones. They don't like him. And, and all of a sudden, he shouts out, forgive them. Don't you know that made him mad? I mean, they, were, they said, what is wrong with this guy? Next verse. Acts, now we go to chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. He agreed with it. He was the one saying, let's do this thing. He was a leader. A great wave of persecution began that day. From that moment on, the Pharisees were fired up. Saul was fired up. And they kind of said, we want more of this, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, here's what happened. Word traveled fast. They just, they just stoned Stephen. They're coming after us. And many believers left Jerusalem quickly. Uh, the disciples stayed behind and kept reaching people. And they kept grow- the church kept growing in Jerusalem. But there was a, 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 a dispersion of Christians. That wasn't necessarily a bad thing because they went and shared their story wherever they went. But there was a dispersion. And and so some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. That took a lot of courage, okay? But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. Man, he was on a mission. He was absolutely fired up about this. And so uh, so, uh, he went and he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Let's stop for a minute, okay? Here's a guy that is, that is just <laughs> driven, driven to destroy people in the way. They weren't called Christians at this point in life, in history. They were called people of the way. And uh, so the way of Christ. And so he's bound determined to destroy that. But you see, the foundation for Christianity is a historical person unlike any other person. Uh, it's just, uh, our foundation is the person of Jesus Christ, not a philosophy. And he's unlike any other person. As a matter of fact, every, many religions have a person who founded it, but they're not like Jesus. They didn't die on a cross and come back to life three days later from the grave. Only Jesus did that. They never forgave sin. They didn't cause the dead to rise back to life. They didn't heal the blind. They didn't heal the cripple. And they did not cure leprosy. There was nobody like Jesus. And so Paul is, Paul is beginning to realize, he says, I don't like this, this movement. So he was persecuting a movement because he believed Jesus was, was still dead. Uh, and so we go to this next thought I want you to get. Jesus is the one who personally pursues with love and grace, all right? He's the one who pursues with personally. He's, he's the one that says, I'm coming after you. He interrupts life very personally. Because he loves, and love always pursues, and because of grace, because grace does what we do not deserve. So let's go back to verse 3, Acts 9, 3. Let's look at this, okay? And he was approaching Damascus on his mission. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, all right? He's, he's, man, he's ready to go do damage to the church, to followers of Christ. He's ready to put them in jail, do that. So he's got, he's got papers, and as he's going, something happens. God interrupts his life. It's amazing, truly amazing. Jesus interrupts his journey. 
He wasn't expecting that. A light shone round about me. Incidentally, you say, well, I've never seen a light. If I saw that, I'd probably believe Jesus. Well, the thing is, he does interrupt your life. Maybe not as dramatic or not as literal, but he interrupts everybody's life at some point in time and touches your life personally because he loves you, because he wants to do a work of grace in your life. So he interrupted Paul, Paul's life, Saul's life. So next verse. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Great question. Because all of a sudden, it's not about the movement that you're persecuting. It's me you're persecuting. This is the question that matters most. Verse 5. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Saul said, he's, he's, he's got a question. It's a question that matters most. Who are you? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. All right? He said, now get up, let's go. Verse 7. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. That's a little freaky, a little weird. They go, man, we, we don't know what's going on. We, but we're, we're, and Saul picked himself up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. Wow. So his companions led him by the hand of Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And here's what happened. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied, because he was a follower of Christ. Very devout. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. All right. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Now, let me tell you, it's incredible how, how exact God is. He, said, you? he could have said, go ask for a guy named Saul. And Ananias would have said, no problem. There's a lot of Saul's. But this Saul was from Tarsus. He was the one that was putting people in jail. And here's what he's, he is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, we've all been there. Lord gives us a direction. We go, I don't know, Lord. I don't know about this one. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He is bad news. He is mean. He is cruel. He is violent. He's vicious. All these things, okay? And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. You're asking me to go see a guy who can have me put in jail. All right? Well, that's, that's pretty much what he asked him to do. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to kings, and as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went, found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, I like that. Brother Saul, we're on the same side now. We're in the same family. You're my brother. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road to Damascus, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. 
It is amazing. Saul did not deserve this amazing opportunity, but grace showed up personally in his life. Jesus said, I, I want to do something in your life. I know what you've done to Stephen. I know what you've done to others. You've destroyed families. You've destroyed income. You've, you've brought chaos to people's lives. But I love you. And he interrupted his life very personally. He interrupted his mission. He interrupted his anger. He interrupted his doubts. He said, I'm here to meet you where you are. And he began to show himself and make himself real to him, okay? And he was pursued by grace. I was asked a question one time I, a couple of years ago. I, I got a text, ended up being in the Waffle House on, on, on Christmas Eve, meeting with someone. Out of desperation, they were trying to figure out what to do with Jesus and God. And so we had talked before anyway. We, we began the conversation, and I met with him, and, and we talked about a lot of things. And I've shared a good bit of that story before, but the thing that I, I want to remind you of that conversation was, as we were talking, he had a lot of questions. He had a lot of things that were, that were barriers to trusting Christ. And he's trying to deal with them. And finally, you know, we're talking, and finally he says, let me ask you a question. I said, well, please do. And he said, does God put pressure on you to push you toward him? I said, yes, he does. That's what he's doing to you. That's why your life's in trouble. That's why your life's falling apart. That's why you are where you are. It's the grace of God. Because Paul said, later on he shares a story, that, that Jesus says, how long are you going to fight against the goads or the conviction that I'm bringing to your life. In my, if you ever watch some movies, some of the older movies that, that, were, that were kind of uh, in the Middle Ages or, or, or whatever, and uh, nights and stuff like that, that have rooms or, or you'd be going somewhere or maybe you've watched the Indiana Jones movie where he got in a room where the walls that had spikes on them started closing together. You ever seen those movies where you go, oh my gosh, this isn't going to end well because <laughs> I'm going to get just impaled from all sides? Can I tell you, God does that. The walls start closing in and the, those spikes start touching you and you go, man, this is bad. Because he's trying to interrupt your life personally. And the question is, how long would you fight against that? The last thing is this. Jesus is without a doubt the Son of God. Without a doubt, personal Savior and undeniable Lord. I want you to watch what's happened from a guy who hated followers of Jesus. Committed to destroy them. Empowered to destroy them. Watch what happens. Chapter 9, verse 20. And immediately, and immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you what that means. He's going to get in trouble real quick, okay, because <laughs> the synagogue didn't like Jesus. The Pharisees did not like Jesus. 
And they're part of the guys that stoned Stephen. He now shows up in the synagogue saying, I'm on the other team. Let me tell you about Jesus. And he begins sharing about Jesus, saying he is, watch this, he is indeed, without a doubt, indeed the Son of God. Indeed. No doubt, no question, undeniable, irresistible, the Son of God. Wow. What were the odds of Saul doing that? Saul began a journey that would answer many of his questions as he traveled along with Jesus. He got to write about it. Here's what he says. I want you to go to Philippians chapter 2. Later on in his ministry, here's what he has to say. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be clinging to, to hold on to, to not let go of. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, being from in heaven, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. God became flesh. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died on a, the criminal's death on a cross. Wow. Therefore, I mean, this is Paul talking. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above other names that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Isn't that amazing? That's it. What's next? And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul said, let me tell you what I've learned about some of the questions I had. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's a coming king. He's Lord over all. He's the Savior of the world to all who believe. You see, Paul started a journey where he would have many of his questions answered. Say, so how do you know that? Because many of his questions are answered in the book of Romans, the book the First and Second Corinthians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. He's he's learning. He even says, "I've not yet learned it all. I'm still reaching forward to the prize." My questions are getting answered regularly, but the question that matters most, I answered on the road to Damascus, who is Jesus? And that's the secret, guys. One day the world will be convinced of who Jesus is. Why wait? Why wait? I wouldn't wait till then. It's going to be too late. If you haven't come to know him here, it'll be too late when you bow before him there. A guy named C.S. Lewis was a proclaimed atheist, very intellectual, very deep thinker. He had many questions. He had many arguments against God. But then he began to deal with this one question, who is Jesus? As he began to think and look and read, his desire was to discredit Jesus. And then as he began to study his life, he came to realize, okay, this man Jesus is either a liar this just makes stuff up. He's a lunatic who thinks he's God, but he's not. Or he's Lord. And as God became personal to C.S. Lewis, he came away saying, he's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. 
He's Lord of all. And became a tremendous follower of Christ and a great Christian author. Some of you read his books. He had a personal moment with God. He answered the question, who is Jesus? Have you answered that question? Why wait? 